Alright, alright. Well, we, we're going there this morning. We're at Proverbs 5 through 7, and the Lord wants to speak to us about human sexuality. Okay? So that's where we're going, and I realize that this is a touchy subject. We are, we're touchy when it comes to talking about sex, especially in church. And to be honest, I've always found that a little odd, a little ironic, and even a little sad. We can talk about sex everywhere else, but when the pastor starts bringing it up, it's like, oh, oh where's the door, right? Let's, uh, let's sneak out. And I think it's for a couple reasons. One is because the church has bad rap. They're either condemning or they say nothing about it. So that's part of it. Another reason is because sex is very private, and holy smokes, is it complicated? There are so many factors that go into it, and we've all got all kinds of baggage, and I think, I think that's why it's so touchy. I, I preached on this a while back, and I knew that it was touchy, and I thought, well, maybe I'll start off with some jokes, right? Because humor is a good way to kind of lessen the awkwardness. And uh, I didn't get a lot of pushback, but a little. And maybe that wasn't the most sensitive way to, to start. And so I want to start a little different this morning. And I want to level the playing ground, okay? One of the reasons sexuality, human sexuality, and, and talking of sex is so difficult is because we are a mess when it comes to our sexuality. Each and every one of us is incredibly broken. We have all screwed up when it comes to sex. And so, much like Adam and Eve, right, the very first sin, they sin and what happens? They hide. They run away from God because although they were naked, they were unashamed. But then because they turned away from God, now they feel an incredible amount of shame. They felt guilt and fear because they were no longer what God had created them to be. And instead of running back to God and having him help them fix the issue and take away their shame, they tried to cover their shame by themselves. God wasn't having that. He sought them out. He clothed them. He brought them back to himself. And so one of the reasons that sex is touchy is because we're so broken. And we feel, we feel much like Adam and Eve. When the pastor brings it up, we want to run and hide because we're ashamed. And just to, just to kind of help us sit in that a little bit, and this isn't personal, I'm not sharing personal stories at all, but I wanted to share some statistics to help you wrap your mind around how big of a deal this is in our culture. These are statistics that are not specific to Christians. This is as a nation. So this includes church folk and unchurch folk. They say this, 70% of church-going men view porn regularly. 87% of women have viewed porn at some point in their life. You want to talk about an epidemic? COVID has nothing on the pornography industry in our country. What porn and the consumption of porn, the consequences that it is wreaking on our nation are horrendous. One out of two families say that pornography is an issue in their home. Inside the church, outside the church. 47%. For those that are viewing porn regularly, the chances that you will have an affair or commit infidelity, it raises by 300%. You are three times more likely to cheat on your spouse if you're viewing porn. 
I'm not going to do the math. You can do the math. How many people are in here? Those are staggering numbers. 70%, 87%, 50%. It's huge. The numbers suggest in a crowd this size, lots of folks in here are looking at pornography on a regular basis. Along with this, again, I'm just speaking statistically here, not personally. One out of four marriages will have infidelity in it. Inside the church, outside the church, 25%. That's extramarital sex. You say, well, what about premarital sex? Well, again, statistically speaking, by the age of 20, 75% of men and women will have had sex outside of marriage. Three-fourths of the population is having premarital sex. And if they wait, if those individuals wait till they're 40 to get married, that number jumps to 95%. 95% of people in the United States, if they're not married by 40, are having sex outside of marriage. You say, okay, what about married couples? How's their sex life? Well, statistically speaking, 15%, that's one out of six. One out of six married couples live in a completely sexless marriage. This means these folks are united. They're united, biblically allowed, and actually mandated. God commands that you should be coming together on a regular basis. Doesn't say what regular is. That's for you as a couple to decide. But you should be coming to be- together. One out of six couples are not having any sex at all. And this last statistic, I don't even want to share with you because it's, it's horrible. One out of ten children will be sexually abused before their 18th birthday. One out of ten. These numbers are they're sobering. When it comes to sexuality, we are a mess. We're a mess. And I realize it can be so painful and awkward to talk about. I get that. But church, in our sex-crazed culture, we need God to give us his perspective more on this issue probably than about any other. We have all been deceived. We've been given such a distorted view of sex. We've got to have God come to us and wave the smelling salts over our nose to wake us up. It doesn't matter whether your error with sex is prudishness, right? You're fearful of it. You think it's gross. Whether it's prudishness or perversion, we need God's perspective on sex. And so here's what I want to do with you this morning. I want to walk through Proverbs 5, or Proverbs 5 through 7, and it's a lot. We're not going to read it all. You can read it later. I'm just going to highlight a couple, couple passages in chunks. And I want you first, I want to make you aware of what the lures are sexually, what the lures are. Imagine like a fishing lure. What are the hooks that are being used to suck us into sexual immorality? What happens when we take the bait? What's the consequence? And then finally, hope for the hooked. There is hope. If you're hooked sexually, Jesus can free you. He can redeem your situation. He can heal your sexual brokenness, okay? There is hope. And so it's going to get a little heavy at first, and then there's going to be a whole lot of hope. So hang on for the hope, okay? Because we're going to get there. And I will do my best. Actually, I'm going to start with a little hope because we need it. I'm going to do my best to be kind and compassionate here in my tone. And I want you to know this before we even start. Jesus does not condemn you. He does not condemn you. You've made mistakes sexually. So has your pastor. So have I. I know many of you feel guilt and shame for the things you've done, for the things you've looked at. And I know Satan would like to show up and he would like nothing more than to whisper in your ear, you see, 
Jesus can't love you. You're too far gone. You're a horrible Christian. You should have stayed home today. God could never love a person like you. And church, don't you believe it. It's not true. Jesus knows what you've done. He knew what you did. He knew what you were going to do while he was in Gethsemane, staring down the cross. While he was staring down the cross, he was fully aware of your mistakes sexually. Right? He knows your regrets. He knew what you were going to regret. He knew all of it. And he said, I'm going to take, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to endure the cross. I'm going to take the penalty that your sexual sin deserves so you don't have to bear that penalty. I'm going to bear the shame that you feel so that when you come to me, you can be cleansed. You can be healed. You can confess with confidence and know that I am going to reclothe you with my glory and my honor. I know this is a difficult subject. And we can't pretend that we are what we should be sexually. We're not. We're broken. But be encouraged. Just like with Adam and Eve, God clothed their shame. They tried to hide, but God sought them out. They tried to cover themselves, but God would not have it. He says, you can't fake it. You can't pretend like you are who you say you are. You can't cover your own shame. No, you need to confess it. So I'm going to make some clothing for you. I want you to live in confession, acknowledging you're not what you are. But I also, I want you to live with hope because I'm going to cover your shame. I'm going to make the sacrifice. I'm going to shed the blood that needs to be shed so that you can be remade. So that you don't have to be who you once were. You're not who you are, but I will remake you. I will reclothe you with glory and honor. I will make you who you were supposed to be. So with that said, let's look at Proverbs chapter 5 through 7 together. Throughout these chapters, Solomon is warning us as individuals. But remember, he's speaking to his son. And because he's speaking to his son, he is letting him know that there are temptresses in the world. And ladies, I don't want you to be offended by this. Solomon is not insinuating that all women are these tempters, right? That all of them are out to suck men into sexual promiscuity. No. You, as we're reading about this, he's speaking to his son, so he's using a woman. Just see the reverse. What he says of women is true of men as well. So don't get hung up there. It's not a sexist book. He's, we need to understand the context, the genre, all of that stuff. What he says of women is true and equally applies to men. So Solomon comes to his son and he warns his son. He says, it's not a matter of if this is going to happen. It's a matter of when. It's a matter of when. When you're going to be tempted. When you're going to be lured. And when that happens, I want you to be aware. I want you to be awake. That bait, it looks so good. It looks tempting. But don't be fooled. There's a hook hidden in it. There's a hook hidden somewhere. You say, so what are the lures of sexual immorality? I think there's two that we can see here in this proverb. Words and looks. Look at Proverbs 5, verse 3. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip with honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Proverbs 6, 24. Keeping you from your wayward, or from your neighbor's wife, from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Proverbs 7, 5. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman, with her seductive words. Solomon's point throughout these chapters is that more often than not, sexual sin starts with words, with inappropriate, <clears throat> with illicit, with wrong communication between someone who is not your spouse. 
Maybe they flatter you. Maybe they promise you something. Maybe they speak to you in a way that you feel like you deserve, but you're not getting at home. As one commentator puts it, he says, the communication may seem innocent enough at first. The woman in the cubicle beside you laughs at your jokes. The old boyfriend on Facebook interacts with you on a level that makes you feel important. Your friend at the gym seems to understand you better than your wife. You think to yourself that a few messages back and forth, even if they're a little flirty in nature, it's not that big of a deal. Well, I, I wouldn't be doing this if my husband would just listen to me, just pay attention to me. Well, my, my wife doesn't admire me the, the way that this lady does. Friends, if this is happening in your life, you should hear the Jaws theme music playing in the background of your head. Do-do-do-do. Repeatedly emailing, texting, calling, or meeting up with someone of the opposite sex who is not your spouse is a major issue. It's not a good idea. You might think it's harmless, but it's not. You are forging emotional intimacy through communication that can and probably will lead to more. The lure of sexually silky words. They might be coming from an individual or they might be coming from our culture. Holy smokes, this is all we get, messaging, entertainment, movies, television, it's everywhere. Don't get married too young, culture says. Delay marriage as long as you can so you know what you want, so you can really be ready. Well, you wouldn't buy a car without taking a test drive. It's okay to mess around. How else are you going to know what you like? Guys like girls who are more sexually active. If you don't act somewhat sexually aggressive, ladies, he won't want you. Lies. It's false. The lies of our culture enter our ear and worm their way down into our heart. Infidelity is hotter than monogamy, they say. Follow your heart, they say. Do what feels good, they say. Maybe the messages have taken root and the voices you're hearing are your own. My spouse isn't as romantic as he should be. He doesn't treat me the way this romance novel a guy in there, boy, sure would be nice to have a man like that. So, maybe it's not that big a deal if I go here, do this, or do that. Words and messaging from our culture, silky smooth, sweet as honey, Solomon says. They make illicit sex, sex outside of marriage, look mm, so good. But there's a hook hiding behind the bait. Solomon says, silky words, charming communication is a sexual lure, baiting us to take the hook of sexual immorality. Listen to how this plays out in Proverbs 7. This is from the message. I really like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. She threw her arms around him. She kissed him boldly, took him in his arms, and said, I've got all the makings for a feast. Today I made my offerings. My vows are paid. So now I've come to find you. I need you. I want you. Hoping to catch sight of your face. And here you are. I've spread fresh clean sheets on my bed. Colorful imported lemons. Egyptian cotton. So, so nice. My bed is aromatic. Filled with spices. Exotic fragrances. Come. Let us make love all night. Spend the night. 
and ecstatic lovemaking. My husband, he's gone. He's on a business trip. He's going to be gone for a month. She flatters this young man. You're the one for me, she says. I've got to have you, big boy. I need you now. She puffs up his ego, perhaps in a way that his wife hasn't. And husband and wives, I want you to take note here. Words are important. Your spouse needs to know that you desire them. Use your words. This woman gets the power of words. She puffs up this guy's ego, flatters him with desire. She even mentions church. Maybe to ease his conscience a little bit. God won't care. I've been to church. Prayed my prayers. We got that covered. He'll forgive us for what we're about to do. Trust me. No one's got to know. To be honest with you, I'm not sure that there's a man in here who would not be tempted by a woman speaking as brazenly as this woman is. Words are silky smooth and seductive. But there's a hook. They'll lure you in, set the line, and then they will reel you to the pit if you take the bait. Along with this, Solomon says looks. We've got words and looks are the other sexual lure. Proverbs 6.25 says, Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. Jesus reiterates this fact in Matthew 5. What we see and hear enters into our heart. And those fantasies in our minds and the things that we look at will create in us an appetite for something that is not real, that is fake and plastic. Illicit images will create discontent in our marriages that will lead you away from your spouses. It might be pornography. It might be inappropriate television shows or movies. It might be sexually explicit romance novels. Any way you spin it, our culture is constantly showing us images of women who act more like men, who are sexually aggressive. And they're showing us images of men who act more like women, who are very emotionally sensitive, right? They're showing us things that don't exist, creating a fantasy. It's an upside down world where they're saying, see, this is what you want. Here's Here's what a man is. Here's what a woman is. And I don't know about you, But men and women are wired differently. And what we're being shown in the media and everywhere else outside of there would have us believe in something that is not true. In something that is false. And the things that we focus our gazes upon, they change our brains, church. Those fake and photoshopped images, those choreographed and scripted films, they change how we look at our spouses. They change how we view sex and the opposite gender. They retrain our brains to want and desire a perverse and selfish form of sexual interaction that is not only fake, but is destructive. The world's upside-down image of sex, it not only cheapens and degrades sex, but it will rob you of the joy of marital intimacy. It will steal the joy that sex is within marriage. Where we look, what we put before our eyes, What we let into our ears matters tremendously when it comes to sex. And so parents, I want to speak to you for a second. Please think long and hard before you get your child a smartphone. You wouldn't take your child to a strip club on the daily. Why in the world would you give them unfettered and unfiltered access to the internet? 
I'm not saying you can't have one. There are guides and guards and all of that. But please think long and hard before you do. It's serious. The images we see from culture, the words that lure us in, man, they're attractive. Sex is powerful. The message of culture is enticing. It offers us cheap thrills. It's fun for a little bit. It is. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be a problem. But if you take the bait, there will be consequences. You say, what are those consequences? Well, Proverbs 5, 19 through 14 gives us some. First, Solomon tells us there are temporal consequences. There's a whole lot of negative that can come into your life if you take the bait of sexual immorality. Listen to it from the NLT. If you take the bait, you will lose your honor. You will lose it to merciless people all you have achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth. Someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. You will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I've come to the brink of utter ruin and now I must face public disgrace. If you get hooked in sexual immorality, expect to be poor, the Bible says. You will pay all your money in alimony and child support. Others will enjoy the fruits of your labor. And don't just expect poverty of wealth. You can also expect poverty of health. STDs will consume and erode your body. You might also get a beating. Eugene Peterson in the message says that you can expect bloody noses and black eyes. Most spouses aren't too forgiving if you steal their wife. Along with this, you'll ruin your reputation. Break apart your family. Possibly lose the respect of your children. Someone else might kiss your spouse goodnight. Someone else might tuck your kids into bed. Holidays will be forever tarnished. What should be a celebratory time will become a time of strife and conflict. You'll have shame and regret. The temporal consequences of sexual immorality are harsh and severe. And some of you can attest to these things. And these are the type of things that we normally focus on when we talk to our children about sex. Don't have sex, right? Don't have sex outside of marriage because you could get a disease. You could have financial ruin. And all of those things are true and horrible. But church, that message is not enough. How well is it working for us? 75% of teens under the age of 20 are having sex outside of marriage, in the church, and outside of the church. It is not enough just to warn people about what will happen to themselves. Even our talk of the dangers of sexuality are selfish. Don't do this because of what it will happen to you. God says that's not enough. You have to go beyond yourself and realize that there is a God in heaven who cares deeply about how you live. Not because he wants to throw darts at you, but because he wants you to thrive and have joy. And he is offended when you take his rules and you say, no thanks, I don't trust you. I know you made us. I know you made the whole world, but I know better. I know how to do this thing. Church, sex is a gift that God has given to us. Teenagers, 
college students, listen. Sex is one of the best gifts that God has given to us. I know you have raging hormones. I get it. I've been where you're at. I've stood in your shoes. I get it. Sex is powerful. It is. But don't give in to those urges. Channel them through the power of Jesus Christ. If you take sex out of its rightful place within marriage, you are inviting disaster into your life. Temporally. And for those who live with Jesus, you will live with far less joy in your life than God means for you to have in this life. And for those who don't yet know Jesus, the consequences are far severe, far more severe. Proverbs 5.21 says, For your ways are in full view of the Lord. He examines all of your paths. God is watching everything we do, always. But wrong behavior is not what condemns someone. Good behavior can't get us to God. Bad behavior can't keep us from God. Hardness of heart and unbelief is what does that. It's not about your behavior. It's about your faith. What you believe and what you believe will drive your behavior. And how you behave will affect your belief. You see, when we commit sin, be it sexual sin or any other kind of sin, you will face conviction. Non-Christian, Christian. You will face conviction. If you're a Christian, if you suppress that conviction, if you choose to continue on your own way, you're not going to lose your salvation, but you will be robbed of joy. There are many things that you will suffer in this life that God does not mean for you to suffer. And if you're not a Christian, if you ignore that conviction, God will eventually abandon us to our sin. I'm speaking to the unbeliever in here now. If you don't acknowledge God and you seek to turn away from, from him, to go your own way, if you hide and run from God, if you persist in sin, if you deny the conviction of the Holy Spirit, then your heart is being hardened, hardened towards God. You are searing your conscience. And you may think, well, we'll do this now and then we'll seek forgiveness later. And that's partially true. You get part of it. You get the gospel to a certain degree. Anyone who's going this way in sin, sexual sin, any kind of sin, you're going this way and then you turn and you say, that's wrong, Jesus, that's wrong. I want to follow you. You got it. Forgiveness is available. But you're mistaken on one thing. You're assuming that you're going to want to turn. You're assuming that you're going to get to a point in your wayward behavior that you're going to say, ah, I'm wrong. God is right. You see, the reality is the further down the road we go in this path, the harder our hearts get towards God. And you might get to a place in your life where you don't think you need any saving. You don't think you need any forgiveness. You don't believe there is such a thing as sin. In fact, you've come to desire, to come to desire what the Bible calls sin more than you desire God. And here is the terrifying reality, church. God promises that he will give us what we desire. If you persist in running away from the Father, he will give you what your heart longs for. And instead of being saved from sexual sin and any other kind of brokenness and healed and given confidence and brought into a new family, instead of all of that, the only thing you can expect to inherit is slavery and death. 
Sex is a beautiful gift. It's like a fire. Keep fire in the right place. Keep sex within marriage. Gives off a lot of heat, a lot of goodness. Take fire outside of a fireplace, it'll burn your house down. Proverbs 7, 21 through 23. You won't even realize it's happening. Soon, she has him eating out of her hand, bewitched. He doesn't know up from down. Love drunk by her honey speech. And before he knows it, he's trotting behind her gladly, ring in his nose like a calf being led to the slaughter, like a stag lured into ambush and then shot with an arrow, like a bird flying into a net, not knowing that its flying life is over. Folks, you don't want what the lures of sexual immorality are selling. The path goes away from God to death and destruction. Promises joy, promises pleasure. The only thing it delivers is sorrow, slavery, and eventually eternal separation from the living God for those who refuse to be united to Jesus Christ as their Savior. I told you it was going to get heavy. That is heavy. Even more so because all of us, we've all taken the bait to some degree. Many of us have made mistakes. Many of you are currently dealing with the devastating consequences of sexual sin. But there's hope. There's hope. There is always redemption and healing to be had at the hands of your Savior. There is. Your situation is not too far gone. You are not beyond help. There is freedom to be found in Jesus. And take that from someone who has found personal freedom from sexual sin. You can have that freedom in and through Jesus. And so I want to end the message this morning with some hope for the hooked. First and foremost, Proverbs 7.4 tells us, Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And to insight, you are my relative. If you're hooked in sexual sin, if you're hooked in any sin, you need a personal relationship with Jesus. And you can have it. You need to be married to him, the Bible says. You need to be part of his bride, the church, united to him. Your deepest problem is not your behavior. You've tried harder. It ain't working. It ain't working. You're still enslaved. You're not free. Friends, if you're hiding in sin this morning, you need to confess it first to Christ and then to a trusted fellow believer in the church. It's why it, I mourn the fact that we're being prevented and people are not gathering, whether or not it's because they don't want to wear a mask, whether or not it's because of fear of COVID. I don't want us to live separate because we're supposed to bear one another's burdens and we can't do the one another's of Scripture if we're not with one another in relationship. And so if you're dealing with, with, with sexual sin, you need to confess to a brother or a sister that you trust. Why? Because James says, confess your sins one to another so that you might be healed. You already have forgiveness. Jesus bought that already. By faith, you are forgiven. Past, present, future. You have it. You say, why do I still feel broken? Are you hiding your sin? Perhaps it's time to bring it into the light. You say, I don't know if I can do that. If people knew, they won't loved one. Allow your brothers and sisters in Christ to carry this burden with you. Pick up the phone. 
get a coffee, get in person, and unload the dark secrets of your heart so that you might hear from a fellow believer, yeah, I've been there. I still love you. And so does Jesus. And that tangible acceptance that you receive from a fellow brother or sister in Christ will remind you that when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see your behavior. He doesn't see your behavior. No. He relates to you based upon the work that he has done. You can say to Jesus, you are my husband. You are my wife. You are my sister. You are my relative. Jesus, you are my lover. Thank you for for giving me this relationship to remind me that you accept me. That what you say about me is what I will say about myself. You love me. I'm in you. I've been called by you. Because of you, I am not who I was. I'm a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I was naked. I was ashamed. I was broken. But you took my shame. You cleaned me up. You put a new set of clothes on me. The honor that belongs to you, Jesus, now is mine because I'm united to you by faith. Believe that. Declare that continually. Cling to that truth and preach it to yourself until your heart sings with confidence. You are no longer defined by your past, by your present, by your future sin. You, child of the king, that is who you are, are defined by his finished work. Your past might be dirty, but your future is bright. Your present is clean. There is hope for your marriage. There is hope for the sexually hooked. There is hope for the single. Jesus can be a spouse to you. Not in a weird way, but in a way that he can sustain your urges, your desires, and channel your energies into productive things. Embrace the hope of Jesus through relationship with him. Confess and repent. Live by faith and depend on Jesus to help you thrive. We, free, we flee sexual immorality and get unhooked from sexual sin by living first united to Jesus through personal relationship. And secondly, the Bible says we fight sexual immorality. We flee it by being united to our spouse if you're married. The Bible says if you're hooked in sexual sin and you're married, you need to learn, learn to be satisfied with the spouse of your youth. If you're not married, but you're burning with passion and desire, then find a godly spouse and get married. 1 Corinthians 7, 9. But if they can't control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passions. Parents, if your child has found a godly spouse, please think long and hard about having them delay marriage for economic reasons. It will be better for your kids to be poor and honor God in their marriage than to be set up financially and living in impurity. Don't delay marriage if you find a godly mate. Get married. Get married quick. And then, once you are married, delight yourself in the bliss of sexual intimacy within marriage. The Bible doesn't give us a number, but it says that regularly you should be coming together. I love that. There's a ton of freedom in there. It means that you as a married couple communicate your desires and then to paraphrase, he says, work to outdo serving your spouse in whatever it is they desire. 
personal. It's for each spouse to figure out. But it's important. Church, we have to understand Satan's tactic here. He wants everybody having sex before marriage. And then once you get married, he wants everybody to stop having sex. Listen to the Bible. It's what it says. 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive each other except perhaps for mutual consent for a time so that you might devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again. Why? Why? So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Here also Proverbs 5. This is Solomon. He says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice or delight in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you be intoxicated with her love. God is telling us here that one of the main tools he's given us to fight the lures of sexual immorality is the marriage bed. Delight yourself and your spouse. Now, in a talk like this, any attempt at specific application may be encouraging to some, but chances are it's probably going to be more discouraging or offensive. And so I'm not going to get real specific here. There are tons of factors that play into this. I know it's complicated. I get it. There's emotional factors and physical factors and libido and health and all kinds of stuff. I get it. So I just want to ask you a couple questions to help you apply this if you're married this morning. Are you delighting in the spouse of your youth only? Why? Why not? Do you feel delighted in by your spouse? Does your spouse feel delighted in by you? If not, there are some conversations that need to be had. And if you ever need help having those conversations, Wes or I are here. I get it. It's awkward. We have to talk about this stuff. If you need help, get some help. You can talk to me or Wes. There are plenty of godly men and women here that you can talk to who maybe have been where you are. Seek some counsel, but have the conversation. Intimacy in marriage is first and foremost spiritual and emotional. Physicality kind of takes care of itself. And honestly, the physical side of intimacy, it's really just a magnifying glass. It's a magnifying glass we put over our relationship. It shows us how we're doing spiritually, how we're doing emotionally as a couple. If something's off on the physical side of things, you don't need what the world is selling. And all their advice about cosmopolitan and this, that. You don't need any of that stuff. No. You need to do the hard work of communication. You need to speak with your spouse. You need to learn to be naked emotionally. Not just physically. It's easy to take your clothes off. It's a whole nother thing to bear your hurts, your wants, your desires, your hang-ups. It's terrifying. Even in the confines of marriage. Because we're scared. We're scared of rejection. Push through that. Go to Jesus for the strength you need to be honest and open and speak with your spouse about what you would like, about your fears, about your hang-ups, about your past. And again, if you need help, we're here. We're here to help. Focus on your communication and your character and your sex life will take care of itself. Church, there's hope. There is hope for the hooked sexually. 
Unite yourself first and foremost to Jesus in relationship. And if you're married, delight yourself in the spouse of your youth. Let's pray. Father God, this is a tough subject. It's a tough subject because we've all missed the mark here. We've all got regret. We've all fallen short. Many of us are in over our head and, and feel like we can't get out. Lord Jesus, you have power. You have power to break the chains of addiction. You have a tender touch to give a hug to the hurting, to the broken. You're the good doctor. You can bring healing to our sexual brokenness. Father, I pray that you would drive the shame from our hearts, that you would seek us out the way that you sought out Adam and Eve, that you would come to us, that you would help us confess, live a life of confession, bring our sins out from the darkness and into the light so that their power might be stripped from them. Father, root us to the gospel. Help us live in the reality that we are not how we behave. We are who you declare we are through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Make us a church that has marriages that exemplify the gospel. That when people look at the marriages of this church, they say, how have you guys done it? How are you still married? How do you seem to have so much joy in, in life? What is your secret Father, give us marriages that make the world ask that question. And when it happens, give us the boldness to say, it's Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. Lord Jesus, the world's a mess. There's a lot we could be divided ourselves about and fighting about. Keep us focused on you. Keep us encouraged. Give us peace for those of us who are raging. Give us peace for those of us who are fearful. Give us peace. Help us live in a winsome way that would speak volumes to the lost and hurting world around us. We love you, Father. Help us love you more. It's for your glory that we pray and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, church. I hope that you feel loved, and I hope that if you're married, your marriage blossoms, and I hope that if you're single, that you can find a spouse or learn to be filled up through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray that you have a great week, okay? We'll see you next week.